Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Duffy with lisaduffy.com and I'm excited to bring you a new podcast. I've just recorded this conversation with Jacqueline Rapp. Jackie is a canon lawyer with some outstanding accomplishments. She served as a judge, advocate, and defender of the bond in the first and second instance for dioceses across the United States and in Toronto, Canada. She's also a published author, has written for numerous magazines. She's a wife, mother, and teaches at Trinity High School in Louisville, Kentucky, as well as at her home parish. In this podcast, we're going to tackle some of the tough questions people have about the annulment process. So I invite you to turn up your volume, get comfortable, and enjoy this great conversation. And um, Jacqueline Rapp is with me today. Um, Jackie, we're so happy to have you here. And I would just um, like to start by asking you about this uh, wonderful book that you have out and um, how did you become a canon lawyer? What led you to that? Well, um, I think starting with what led me to become a canon lawyer, I was in law school when I became Catholic. I came into full communion during my third year of law school. And I realized when I was in law school that I had absolutely zero desire to practice civil law. I liked the mental gymnastics of law, but I didn't like the substantive base. And I thought, what am I going to do with my life now? I've just paid all this money to go to law school, and I don't know what to do with my life. So I took a year off, and I looked into religious life. And the sisters were like, no, you have no business being a sister, which, you know, that happens. And they were the ones who said, have you considered canon law? And I said, yeah, I've considered it, but I don't have $25,000 a year to go to Catholic University of America. I mean, I just don't have it. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, there's a program here in Canada at St. Paul University in Ottawa, Ontario, that's a lot less expensive. And because I was a Canadian citizen at the time, I was able to get a discounted tuition rate. And so that's where I went to school, and then it all just fell into place after that. Nice. Yeah. That's great. So so it was really, um, I don't know. I mean, I had always felt a call to justice, Mm -hmm. um, but civil law just wasn't it for me. I mean, I was was definitely called to ministry, Mm -hmm. but how that was supposed to play itself out, I really had no idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, until um, until you discerned your vocation and then got that um, inspiration from the nuns. Yes. The yes. Inspiration I mean, I was to... I was floundering really mm-hmm. at that point, mm-hmm. not sure what I wanted to do with my life. And um, it was when the religious sisters said, "Have you considered this?" Mm-hmm. that it really sort of put a spark in me um, to look into it and to have a sense of what it was that I wanted to do with my life. Well, that's outstanding. It's, it's really wonderful. And now you've um, co-written a book for the Anonymous I have. Annulment I've written process. a book with, with Pete Veery, and um, it's called Annulment, 100 Questions and Answers for Catholics. And um, Pete and I really were at the point where we thought, you know, there were annulment books out there, but they all tended to be a little heady. You know, they tended to be more geared towards other canon lawyers or to parish workers or to priests, people who work with people going through the annulment process. Mm -hmm. And Pete and I wanted to do a book that was geared towards people. Mm -hmm. 
we wanted to do a book that was geared towards people in the pew. Mm-hmm. And we both have a writing style that lends itself to that. Um, I was already writing for um, blogs and for websites at that point about Catholic marriages and annulments. And Pete said, why don't we just take a bunch of this stuff and start trying to formulate a book out of it? Mm-hmm. Because I'd get asked all these questions, and I just would answer them in ways that people would easily understand. And so from that, we decided to pull the book together, and that's where it all started. Fantastic. That, that's excellent. And uh, before we end uh, the conversation, um, we'll give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find the book. Um, but I'd like to just kind of jump into today some of the questions that I've heard repeatedly that could really use um, the voice of a canon lawyer answering these questions. And okay. the first one is, many people are confused about the difference between a valid marriage and a sacramental marriage. Would you explain the difference? Okay. I think one of the things that needs to be kept clear is that you're talking about two different sorts of things. You're talking about apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. So valid versus sacramental is not really what you want to be looking at. You want to be looking at valid versus invalid or natural versus sacramental. Those okay. are those are all different sorts of things. So invalid versus valid. When you have a valid marriage, it means that people have, for lack of a better term, stood in the right place, said the right things, and meant the right things. Mm-hmm. So that means it's a valid marriage. And when we're doing an annulment case, we're looking to see if those things took place. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, then it's invalid. Mm-hmm. Natural versus sacramental. Natural marriages are what God, we believe, were instituted by God, starting in the Old Testament, that they are um, permanent, exclusive, open to children, and ordered to the good of spouses. Mm-hmm. So all marriages anywhere in the world, that is the prerequisite, is that it be those things. A sacramental marriage is only sacramental when it happens between two baptized people. Mm -hmm. So a sacramental marriage occurs between two Baptists, between two Catholics, between a Catholic and a Baptist, Mm -hmm. between a Catholic and a Lutheran, between two Lutherans. That's a sacramental marriage. As long as two people are baptized, then it's a sacrament. It's not a sacrament if it's a Catholic and a Buddhist or a Catholic and a Muslim, or a Catholic and a Jew. Even if it takes place in a Catholic church, it's not a sacrament. Hmm. A sacrament only takes place when it's between two baptized people. So in reality, when we're doing an annulment case, we're not looking at whether something is sacramental or not, because that's a status of whether you're baptized or not. What we're looking for is whether a natural marriage took place and whether it was valid or invalid. I see. That's excellent. That's uh, great clarity, uh, great clarification on that. Um, And I've, um, a lot of, when I write, when I post a blog post um, and then the comments begin underneath, there is a lot of this back and forth about, no, you know, the sacramental marriage is this. No, you can't be referring to a valid marriage because of that. And there is quite a bit of confusion, so mm-hmm. I think that's a, a great explanation. Very um, easy to understand, but also very black and white, which is what you know people are really looking for. 
Right. I think people ultimately are looking for acknowledge and understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to. Well, I think uh, what you, you know, as you said before, when you wrote the book, you, your writing style lends to the person in the pew. And that's really, I think, a big disconnect between the annulment process and the people who need to go through that sometimes mm-hmm. is the, the jargon can be frightening. Yeah. Um, it can be intimidating. And that might keep someone who's already experiencing a, a, a world of hurt. Um, it, it can definitely keep them from going through the process. So, Which is why it's really important for people who are going through the process mm-hmm. to get an advocate. Um, most times the tribunal will just automatically assign one to you, but you need to know who that is because that person can walk with you through the whole process and that person can help you understand the jargon. Right. And that's a, I don't know how long that's been around, but that was not offered to me when I went through my annulment process in 1996 and 97. So and it should I've, have been. Yeah. I, I, I see that there are a lot of differences, uh, and I, I think that that's a great difference. It's a really good thing that started. So, Well, it should have been since 1983. Oh, I did not so know that. So there should have been an advocate offered to you. Okay. Um, and so that's why I tell people all the time, if you do not know who your advocate is, find out. Okay. Call the tribunal, ask them who your advocate is and how you can contact them. Excellent. Excellent. Um, okay, so there seems to be this trend of people believing um, that if they – claim that they have a lack of form, that they were married with a lack of form, mm-hmm. um, and they use that as grounds for annulment, that they will only need to go through the short form and it will be automatically granted. And I've heard people say this to me, that mm-hmm. um, they've been making their divorce, they've been making plans to get married, and they were mm-hmm. told by someone, um, you don't have to go through the annulment process if you think you have a lack of form, just a few weeks before you get married, let us know. We'll send you out a piece of paper that says you're, you're all good. So can you shed some light on that? Well, if it is truly a lack of form case, then they're correct. It is just paperwork. Um, Catholics are required to go through canonical form of marriage. That means that there's a priest or a deacon and two witnesses. So if there is no priest or deacon present, then it's not canonical form of marriage unless you get a dispensation for that. So if a Catholic is marrying, um, say, a Mm non-Catholic, they can get permission. So Catholic boy is marrying Baptist girl, Mm -hmm. and she wants to have the wedding in her church. You can get a dispensation, which is a relaxation of the law, permission from the bishop to have your wedding in a non-Catholic church. That's called a dispensation from form. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you do not need a priest or deacon. Mm-hmm. But if, for example, a Catholic is marrying a Catholic, then it must be in front of a priest or a deacon. Okay. And if it's not in front of a priest or a deacon, say two Catholics go down to the justice of the peace, or two Catholics go in front of a Lutheran minister, then it's not a valid marriage automatically. Mm-hmm. And all you need to do is submit copies of the baptismal certificates of the parties, the marriage license and the divorce decree, 
and then some papers are filled out and it's done. Okay. Now, whether it should be happening two weeks before the wedding is another story entirely. Mm-hmm. Because what if something's wrong? Like what if it's not what you think it is? Right. It should be done right away. Mm-hmm. It should be done immediately, not two weeks before the wedding. Because if something goes wrong and it's not what you thought it was, then suddenly you're stuck. Right. You know, people's status in the church should always, always be clarified before any marriage is put on the books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be planning a wedding until they know what their status is in the church. Excellent. And could you, are, are there any other lack of form uh, circumstances besides, uh, you know, Vegas or Justice of the Peace? Like I said, if two Catholics get married before a Lutheran minister, or say Catholic boy marries Baptist girl in Baptist church and they don't get the dispensation. Right. If they don't get the the permission from the bishop, Mm -hmm. then that's a lack of form marriage too. Mm -hmm. Or married on a golf course or a beach or something like that. Well, as long as there's a priest or a deacon present. I mean, I know that most bishops will not permit that to happen, Mm -hmm. but I know down in Mexico... There are some small chapels near beaches that are run by the diocese that oh. a priest can officiate at. Ah, interesting. So it's not really the place, it's who's present. Okay. Excellent. That's great. Um, and that, uh, that also, in my opinion, seems to be a growing trend. I, I really hadn't heard many people say that. Uh, say, five years ago, but it seems like in the last five years that seems to be a buzz happening. More and more people are just getting married outside the church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, if you're 16 and pregnant, parents may just say, go down to the courthouse and get married. Right. Because parents may realize if you get married in the church, it's binding for life. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, if you're 16 and 17 and pregnant, let's see how this works for a few few minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. And then have the church wedding. Mm -hmm. Yes. Are they living in a place where they shouldn't be? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you need to take into account the fact that these fall apart really quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a whole annulment process that would have to be involved. I don't encourage it. I'm not saying go down to the justice of the peace and get married and then two years later have a church wedding. Right. I don't think that's the best plan. Mm -hmm. But in certain circumstances, that may be the pastoral approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not one to judge what a pastor tells his people. But I can certainly say that there are more cases these days where people want their beach wedding, where they want their golf course wedding, where they want their outdoor garden wedding. Mm -hmm. And so they say... The church can't tell me when and where I'm getting married. Right. They can't tell me that. Mm-hmm. And so they just do what they want anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's your lack of form cases. Okay. All right. Well, um, you know, this is great information, and um, it really uh, causes one to reflect on their, you know, intentions for getting married or remarried, because Mm -hmm. these are all very important considerations. And Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, if you kind of approach marriage as, you know, it's my day and the church can't tell me, um, there, you probably need to step back a little bit before you get married. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, my okay. husband and I, my husband and I also do marriage prep for our parish. Oh, nice. And so we take the information that we have from the annulment side and we're able to transfer it into marriage prep. And it's interesting how, you know, we work with couples to really make sure that what they're doing is what the church teaches Mm -hmm. so that they have that forethought. You know, they have that ability to work through what they're thinking about so that they go into marriage with the right intentions and the right viewpoints and the right um, worldview. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's so important. You know, um, it seems that the church has really been stepping up to the plate to, you know, fortify first marriages, fortify these couples before they get uh, into something they weren't ready for and, mm-hmm. you know, it falls apart. And um, that's a great thing. But th- these are all extremely important issues because there are so many couples out there who just don't care. Um, they, they don't uh, they have a, a different lifestyle than what is prescribed by the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, you know, they, a lot of times they're at pre-Cana programs uh, just at the behest of their parents or their parish mm-hmm. priest. And um, it's, I think it's so important to have people like you um, preparing these couples so they can have a happy life because that's what yes. it's supposed to be. Yes. Absolutely. And that's why we do sponsor couple as opposed to um, any of the other programs, because Ah. we like to sit down with a couple one-on-one nice, and really dive into these issues with them, Mm -hmm. Um, force them to communicate, Mm -hmm. you know, with each other and with us to give them a real sense of what it is they're doing, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just sort of skirting through, because you can't skirt through marriage prep if it's just you and the couple. Right. You know what I mean? You, yeah. can, you can do that in a room full of people at Engaged Encounter. Mm-hmm. But when you're sitting in my dining room, mm-hmm. facing me and my husband, right. you've got to participate a little bit. Yes. <laughs> that's a great point, and that's a great way to do it. Yeah. Sponsor couple is definitely a, an interesting perspective on marriage prep. Awesome. Um, I I haven't heard a lot about that, but it seems like a great way to go. Well, I think ultimately, you know, you hear people a lot say there's too many annulments granted in the church. Mm -hmm. You know, there's too many of these happening. I think the answer to the number of annulments that are happening in the church is better marriage prep. Yes. Um, A good marriage prep program will find that some couples choose not to get married. Mm Mm-hmm because they're faced with what it is they're really doing and they decide we're not ready for that. Mm-hmm. I think that the answer to a large number of annulments is taking marriage prep seriously and making sure that couples are fully aware of what they're entering into. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. There's no question. Um, <clears throat> especially with the trends in dating these days, mm-hmm. it really waters down the idea of what real marriage is supposed to be. So uh, uh, kudos to you for, you know, 
taking on these couples in a, a sensitive but uh, serious way. It's, mm -hmm. it's very, very important. That's awesome. Um, now this next question I've seen come up. I, I've done um, my divorce support program in the parishes for um, for a long time now. And mm -hmm. this question seems to come up and I've been, I've asked some other people uh, about this that worked for the diocese but um, haven't had a really great answer to it so um, mm -hmm. I'd like to give it to you. Some dioceses allow the respondent to view the petitioner's answers. So we're talking one mm -hmm. spouse uh, files for the annulment, answers the questionnaire, and the respondent or the ex-spouse who did not file is invited to come view the petitioner's answers. Yes. And it's raised a lot of concerns for spouses who have been in abusive relationships or mm -hmm. their ex-spouse has anger management issues and they're afraid they'll take it out on the children or some situation like that. Mm -hmm. So why do the tribunals allow this and what can someone do if they want to avail themselves of the process but they have this fear of provoking their ex-spouse? Right. Well, I think the reason that it happens is because there's a right of defense. Mm -hmm. The church has a right of defense in the process. So the person has a right to see what other people have said and then respond to it. And that's just part of the right to defense. That's how the church sets it up, so that okay. you have a right to defend yourself, your reputation, um, all of that. You get a right to that. Um, now, as far as what can be done about it, I know that in some places, for example, if the petitioner, if the respondent doesn't know where the petitioner lives, mm -hmm. okay, so you've got a woman who's been abused and she has essentially, for lack of a better term, gone into hiding mm -hmm. and the ex-spouse no longer knows where she lives. The court can make sure that the petitioner, that the respondent never finds out where she lives. Okay. So um, if you're both still in the same diocese, the petitioner can ask Rome to allow the di another diocese to handle the case. Ah. So the respondent, so say petitioner and respondent both live in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And the petitioner doesn't want the respondent to know that she's still in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Then you might be able to ask Atlanta to take the case. I see. So okay. all of the information he's getting would come from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that he wouldn't know where she lives. Okay. Another way to do it is that every piece of information he gets does not refer to her by any name other than her birth name. Okay. And that, ha that is generally the way it goes. Mm -hmm. um, because it's birth name and birth name. So the petitioner, if she was you know, known as Sue Smith when she was born and he was known as Robert White when he was born, the case will go under Smith White. Okay. It will not go under her current married name if she's married to somebody else now. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. So that's a protective feature. Mm -hmm. um, that can happen. Now, 
if there are children involved and they are you know involved with each other to some level and degree and she's worried about the children or she's worried about herself and her own safety i think at some level then the diocese needs to take that into account mm-hmm. and what will happen is um from the beginning if for example she has um restraining orders right or she has um child protective orders or she has do you see what i'm saying if there are legal documents mm-hmm. to prove why she is in physical danger mm-hmm. then what a tribunal will do is they will take that into account okay and a lot of times instead of appointing an advocate they'll appoint what's called a procurator okay and the procurator then represents the respondent in his right of defense mhm and the respondent may not be contacted okay so that can happen but the only time i've seen it happen is when there is actual proof of concern for well-being mhm so just saying i think he could hurt me mhm is not sufficient is not going to be sufficient <clears throat> you're going to need to have some sort of proof of that So, like I said, protective orders, court protective orders or police reports where, you know, you get copies of police reports where you know, police were called to the house because of domestic violence. Mhm. Things like that that you can give to a court and say, "This is why I'm scared." Right? That will go a long way in making sure that the person is protected during the annulment process. Okay. So it um it sounds like um you know diocese allow this in fairness uh and in justice yes. which Absolutely. is good it is a good thing I, I and I think I want to emphasize that because so many people don't see it as a good thing they they're they feel accosted by it but it really is a good thing um and If well, and the truth of the matter is if the if the evidence if the respondent says things that are completely contrary to what the petitioner said. Right. So he she says he was abusive, he was violent, he was an alcoholic, and he says none of that's true. She mm-hmm. says all these things but none of that's true. Mhm. Um the witnesses are what's going to be important here. Mhm. because if the witnesses can say I saw bruises on her body right like I saw him drinking too much and getting verbally abusive mhm then his word isn't going to be taken as fact mhm so it's an entire picture that's painted not just a he said versus she said right so yeah it's it's an added um layer of information because the respondent does get to fill out his own paperwork but if he sees you know what she said um he has the opportunity to um to deny it or or to uh appeal it but mm-hmm. appeal is not the right word but um i i see what you're saying but then the uh witnesses come in and then they really do have the bigger picture with as much information as possible absolutely the witnesses are going to den- deny or confirm along with you know the other two either party right mhm mhm because sometimes a petitioner will say things to just get back at them sure 
You know, they'll say things, they'll make things up too. Mm-hmm. You know, just to get back at the respondent for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then the witnesses will come in and say, no, none of that's true. None of that happened. Right. So it can go both ways. Sure. You know, the sure. witnesses will really sort of pull a case together for us. Uh, yeah, and, and that's a good thing because divorces are messy and mm-hmm. bitter. And, um, you know, by the time you get to filling out the paperwork, a lot of that can come out. So, yes. Um, that's yeah, that's a good thing. But the the point also here, a very important point for anybody listening who may be in a, a situation is you do have um, the opportunity to contact the diocese or the mm-hmm. tribunal and show them proof of you know what you're afraid of or um, you, you know you have the opportunity to tell them that you're you know, you have a situation and then they will go to lengths to protect you. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Make clear to the tribunal what it is you're facing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's That's really important. Yeah, it's very important. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, And I just have a couple more questions. Um, The next one is, um, many people avoid the annulment process or drag their feet during it because of the paperwork and they're put off by the extremely personal nature of the questionnaire. Um, what advice can you give to someone in this position? Well, I think first you need to realize that the reason it's so personal is because marriage is personal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're looking at whether a marriage came into being or not, mm-hmm. and that's a very personal thing. So, yes, we're going to ask personal questions. Um, I, it's hard to get around that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get around the fact that we're asking what seem to be intrusive questions. You know, I have a friend who refuses to go through the process because she doesn't like the fact that it's too intrusive. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say to that. It's, by its very nature, it has to be intrusive. We can't just ask general questions and hope to come up with something. Right. Um, marriage is a very personal thing. And in order to address the issues and to know whether or not marriage took place, we need to know those personal details. So um, would it as, be... I'm sorry. As far as, you know, it's difficult to write down, mm-hmm. sometimes it's easier to talk with somebody. Mm-hmm. So you can get what's called an auditor, Mm-hmm. Um, some dioceses have auditors. Okay. And what an auditor does is an auditor will take your testimony verbally. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's easier to sit down with somebody and them ask you the questions and then they type out your responses and you just sign it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we do that in the Archdiocese of Louisville. Mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're having trouble writing them out, it's important to at least ask, is there someone who can interview me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that may be the difference. Some people have a difficulty expressing themselves in writing. Mm-hmm. And if they're just asked the questions by someone who is very personable and relaxing mm-hmm. and 
honest, then they may be more capable of giving answers that work for the tribunal. Okay. And so it's when you're filling out the questionnaire, um, it is very important to not give one or two sentence answers as well. It, you really need to fill in, um, to, to give you know, the, the tribunal a good picture, a good idea, a detailed idea of what the answer to that question is. Right. It's important to not just give generalities. For example, um, someone will say he was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? Right? The tribunal needs examples. Mm-hmm. He was an alcoholic because he drank every night when he got home. If he didn't drink, he was grouchy and complaining and throwing things. Mm-hmm. Um, he couldn't get through the weekend without drinking. Mm-hmm. Whenever he drank, he blacked out. Mm-hmm. So we can't just use overarching statements like he was an alcoholic or she had mental illness. Mm-hmm. We need examples of what you mean when you say that. Because what I hear when I say alcoholic might be very different than what you mean when you say alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I need examples of that as a judge Mm -hmm. to be able to fully paint a picture when I'm making a decision. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, it's all very important. And for someone who is considering the annulment process, um, it's important for them to be as comfortable as possible, to, to kind of have the expectation set, yes, this will be extremely personal, because you know the reason you said marriage is extremely personal, it's not just the church you know, poking into your personal affairs for no reason. They have good reason. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a, a time in your life where you want to be completely upfront, completely honest, because the decision that they're going to render is going to affect your future. It's also a little cathartic. True, um, yes. My husband went through the process, mm-hmm. and he says there's something to be said for getting it out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you keep it in and you keep pressing down on it, trying to push it down further and further and further, it's going to come out in other areas of your life. Mm -hmm. So if there was dysfunction and if you had problems, pushing those things down is just going to make it pop out in other areas of your life. Mm -hmm. But if you let it come out and you address it and you face it, you can honestly put it behind you. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent point and uh, something that I experienced myself. It's, it's like, um, you know, looking, it's like closing that chapter of your life and being able to lay it to rest in peace. Yes. That's definitely um, the sense I got. It, the healing that comes from facing head on the truth of what happened really does have a cleansing effect. I totally agree with your husband. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. Um, yeah, most definitely. Um, okay, well, um, that's, that's a great um, conclusion to that question. Thank you very much. 
And um, my last question is, there's been a lot of misinformation and speculation floating around this year about Pope Francis and his ideas about making some fundamental changes to the annulment process. Some people like it, some people don't like it. But um, I'd say overall, I believe that the Holy Father is really working for the good of you know, the people in the church. Um, and specifically, you know, we're hearing buzz about the annulment process being free, which um, as you know, someone who's been through the annulment process and really struggled financially as a divorced person, I can see um, that being a good thing on, on that level. Um, how does that translate to the diocese? Uh, or just what is your opinion on uh, what's happening there? Um, as far as, you know, generally, what is he wanting to do? I think ultimately the Holy Father would like to see the process streamlined, mm-hmm. you know, to see that there is um, a more pastoral approach, find, making sure that everybody is taking a pastoral approach, not just some people and other people are just being you know, kind of crass about the whole thing. I think everybody needs to take a pastoral approach. I think he's also hoping that the process will be streamlined. An example of that that I've heard canonists throwing around, canon lawyers throwing around, is the idea of lay judges being able to judge by themselves. Currently, a priest can judge by himself. If a case comes before him and he wants to be the judge, he can judge by himself. Someone with the exact same degree who is licensed by the church to practice canon law, who is a lay person, be it a man or a woman, mm-hmm. has to work, has to be on a tribunal with two priests. Mm-hmm. So a lay person cannot judge by themselves. Okay. One of the things that canon lawyers are presenting to the Holy Father is lay people being able to judge by themselves. This would free up a couple of things, time and resources. Mm-hmm. Time, because priests need to be in parishes. They can't be in the tribunal all the time. So they need to be in parishes. Um, when they're in the office, it's not quite as often. Lay people, if they're hired by the tribunal, are there full time. And so they can be doing cases and having them move along the process. If they're not waiting for priests to come in and work with them, they can just move the process along faster. So that would streamline the process considerably. Mm -hmm. How it frees up resources is, for example, in the Archdiocese of Louisville, if a priest is working in a parish as well as in the tribunal, Half of his salary, for example, if he's in the tribunal half-time and in the parish half-time, half of, his, half of his salary would be paid by the tribunal and half would be paid by the parish. Well, if suddenly the priest doesn't need to be there to judge cases and a layperson who you're already paying can judge cases, then you're, you're losing that salary. The tribunal is not having to pay that salary anymore for the priest, mm-hmm. so there's not a double payment, essentially, of personnel. That would release funds, and if you're able to release funds, then you're more likely to be able to do cases for free. Mm-hmm. I so I think the Holy Father is saying, you know, annulments need to be accessible. Everybody has the right to have their status in the church clarified. Mm-hmm. 
And if people can't afford it, they should not be forced to just stand by. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody should have the right, and everybody according to the law has the right to petition the court to have their status clarified. Mm-hmm. And if that is true, then finances shouldn't stand in the way of that. Yes. And I know a lot of dioceses right now will work with people. They'll either reduce the fee or they will um, they'll allow somebody to make smaller payments or they'll waive the fee entirely based on their income. Um, you know, I know in Louisville, they take you at your word. Mm-hmm. If you say, I'm incapable of paying this, mm-hmm. then that's fine. In other dioceses, they ask you to submit your tax form. Once again, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Just submit your latest tax return. Mm-hmm. And they'll decide you know, how much you have to pay based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also important because there's the misconception that floats around that only rich people can get annulments. Right. You know, unless you have a lot of money, you can't get an annulment. Mm-hmm. And I think the Holy Father really wants to eradicate that whole concept. Mm-hmm. Which is important because that it's amazing to me to still hear that floating around, and I do. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, I think it is, even though it may disrupt some people's ideas of how things are supposed to be, I believe that the Holy Father is doing a wonderful thing um, and really offering people who would otherwise stay away from the annulment process the opportunity to have the healing and um, to have that to be able to sort through what happened and put it to bed, put it to rest peacefully and then to have um, clear direction on their future because we know that not all annulments are granted. Right. So, um, you know, some people may find out that they are still bound to their ex-spouse until one or both die. And um, it's important to find happiness that way, you know, to have a clear direction and know what road to take instead of just winging it. And I think the winging it is really causing... Um, a, a great uh, crumbling in society because you just jump out into the next relationship, you get married, and you just weren't ready for it. it, mm-hmm. it, it there was nothing good about it. So, mm-hmm. um, Well, and I think if you go through the annulment process, you face those things that kept you from having a marriage in the first place the first time. Sure, yeah. You know, and all of those choices you made. Because, for example, you know, the woman will say, he was an alcoholic, he was a horrible person, he beat me. Mm -hmm. So, yes, he's a horrible person. Mm -hmm. But what made you choose a horrible person? Right. Like, you need to address those issues too. Yes. Yes, you can address the issues of, he was a horrible person. But until you address the issues of, why would I marry a horrible person, Mm -hmm. your next relationship isn't going to be successful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a great point. And um, it, it does, it, you're right, it does cause you to grow up uh, some. Um, I know that was, I remember when I received the questionnaire, I 
flipped through it and then I put it in the drawer in my desk and I didn't look at it for two weeks because I was like, wow, this is serious. This is, uh, this is going to be me having to take a really hard look and be really honest with myself along with having to revisit some unpleasant memories. So um, that's a great point. And, you know, all of these things are, uh, you know, pieces that come together to make the annulment process something really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that I wish that more people would um, lay down their arguments and their excuses and really take a look at this tool that the church offers us that mm-hmm. is uh, invaluable for healing. Absolutely. So I, I wanted to just um, let our listeners know uh, where they can find your book and um, are you on Twitter or, or other social media? Do you have a website? Where can they find I you? do have a website. It is KY Canonist, Kentucky Canonist, K-Y-C-A-N-O-N-I-S-T dot com. And if people need to reach me, they can reach me through the website. Um, I think that's the best way to get in touch with me, honestly, Um, because there's a way to contact me through that website. And I answer all of my emails. I make sure that people, um, if I need to help people, that I help people. I make sure that I put them in touch with the right people. I'll do whatever I can to help you from that point. Um, I want people to understand that. My book, Annulments, 100 Questions and Answers for Catholics, can be found on Amazon.com. Um, it's currently also available in Kindle. So for those who are more electronically minded, they can get the book on Kindle as well. Okay. That's fantastic. Um, Jackie, I'm, I just can't thank you enough for spending the time um, to do this podcast and go over some of these really important issues. And I know that uh, anyone who listens is going to walk away feeling um, that they've got a lot of clarification and a lot of their um, questions answered so thank you so much thank you for having me thanks again for joining me don't forget if you need resources to help you heal from your divorce and rebuild your life you can find them at lisaduffy.com i'm lisa duffy and until next time count on my prayers for you god bless